Take this too. Okay. Well, good morning. It's uh, it's it's a new year. I'm uh, I'm ready for it. I'm done with 2019. Anybody else done with 2019? Okay, good. Well, whether you are or not, we're done with 2019. But uh, all things considered, hey. We, this little, I'm going to add to, uh, give you another annoying ad before the teaching. Out in the program, I mean out in the lobby, on the little information wall there, uh, you'll see these read scripture reading plan sheets out there. And what they'll do, and this is something I want to encourage you to do like as a church. Uh, if you've never read through the Bible in one year, if you've never read through the Bible in 30 years, I want to encourage you to go on this journey of reading through the Bible with us in one year. And what you can do is follow this little chart. And the cool thing about this is that what people do when they're reading the Bible is, and I'm telling you, I've had hundreds of people tell me this literally. Well, maybe not hundreds. A lot of people tell me this. Uh, it's not good for the pastor to lie to open up the sermon. People start reading through the Bible and they get into parts of it and they go, this is the weirdest, strangest stuff. I have no idea what they're talking about here. Why, do I, why should I even keep reading this? Trust me, there's profound stuff in what you're reading. If you don't understand it, what's cool about this way we're doing it this year is, if you follow the chart, when you get into Leviticus, it's usually where people drop off the map. Okay, how many of you have read through the Bible to Leviticus and then you, you picked up Reader's Digest or Time Magazine or whatever, right? On the right-hand column, there are little five-minute videos that you can watch that will explain what you've been reading in a way that will make you go, is that what it's about? Oh, I get it now. It will help you grasp something that you probably never grasped before, which is parts of the Old Testament and even parts of the New Testament. But each one of the books of the Bible, these Bible Project guys, have brilliantly explained in a super concise, interesting way. It's a cartoon. It's not a boring white guy standing up there talking head. It's creative, uh, illustrated, comic book kind of stuff. So I encourage you to do that. Uh, if you haven't already thought about doing it, you're, if you're not already doing it. So uh, today I want to, we're going to look in the New Testament, and I want to offer you what I, I'm going to call, a, I think it's a, a great way to start, the, the, the theme we're going to talk about today is a great way to start the new year. But it's a, it's a cautionary tale, the story we're going to read today about spiritual blindness. And we're going to look at the story of Jesus healing a blind man. And around that story are, are the stories of a number of other people. They're kind of wrapped around this guy's story. It's a very interesting, uh, brilliant bit of storytelling. And it, these other people are struggling with spiritual blindness. And there's this man who's obviously blind and this wild thing is happening in his life. But as 
he goes through this experience and he interacts with other people, you begin, you're able to see the impact of spiritual blindness on all kinds of people. And, you know, as the Bible is, a, is really, really has a, a genius way of doing, we see ourselves in the story somewhere. And so I want you to be alert as I read through this story. I'm going to read through it and explain it. And at the end, I'm just going to give you a couple little points to sum it up. But I want you to, I'm going to pray that, that God would help us just to be open to be able to see ourselves in this. But at the end of the story is, is a, a, Jesus gives us a simple test. Simple test. The simplest test you're ever going to take in your life to figure out if you have spiritual blindness. And it's so simple, you're going to read it and go, I don't get it. And I'll make a comment, and you're going to go, oh, my. (laughs) I get it now. I get it. And then Jesus is going to give us, once he he explains the test, and he gives us this invitation on, on what to do if we see that we have spiritual blindness. So, uh, if you have a Bible with you, you can open it to, to John chapter 9. And if you don't have a Bible with you, there's paperback Bibles under the chair seats in front of you. And we're going to be reading from page 744. Okay? So before we read, let's, let's pray for a minute. Father, uh, we thank you for your word. And thank you for what you want to teach us today. And I, I know it's something that is really important for each of us. And so uh, we just ask you to give us eyes to see uh, what we're supposed to see today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, start at verse 1. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it's day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm still in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was, but others said, No, 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 he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. 
Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he's a prophet. The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that, he can, how is it that now he can see? We know he's our son, the parents answered, and we know that he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Asked him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For already the Jews had decided that whoever acknowledged Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. He's of age. Ask him. Man who'd been born blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I know, one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment, I've come into this world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. So let's unpack this just for a second. This, this story starts with, with the disciples walking along with Jesus, and they see a man who's blind. And because, you know, they're familiar with the story, they go, he was born blind. Who sinned? Did this man sin? Or did his parents sin? Why was he born blind? They had this idea of cause and effect, and, uh, which has some merit, but uh, I'll share in a second. It, it wasn't the right answer at that moment. And so Jesus says, no, no, no. That's not what's going on here. This man was born blind so that the works of God could be displayed in his life. Now, uh, the disciples are asking a question that a lot of times we ask. You know, when we see suffering, what's, the, what's one of the six question words that you use when you see suffering? Why? Right? It's just, it's, it's a human reflex. I see suffering, I go, why? Because sometimes 
I see someone who's really a bad person, and they're like flourishing. Everything works for them. You know, uh, they're at the craps table in Vegas. Put $1,000 down on 12, and they roll, you know, 12. What is the deal? How come the good people flourish, and you see, I mean, the, good, the, the bad people flourish, and sometimes good people suffer? Whenever you see that, you go, why? The disciples said this. Why? Why? Why was he born blind? Because the rabbis taught us, and we know from the law, that, that sin often has a consequence of sickness. So whose, sick, whose sin was it that caused his sickness? And Jesus said it was neither one. It, all the rules we know, that, that, that there are principles that we can follow. They all have exceptions. And so Jesus is just saying, and this is what God does oftentimes too is he, he doesn't give us the exact answer we want because it would have been really neat there would have been a nice little box to put that truth in that they could hold on and explain everything and if you're going to follow Jesus you're going to learn if you're going to live in this world this world is full of mystery and there's times we have to we have to just sit with the mystery and go God's bigger than my understanding God's bigger than what I can figure out he's but he's good and I just live with that mystery. I live with this tension. And that's, a, that's not an easy place for people who want to be in control. They want to have all the answers to be. But being in control and having all the answers is God's work. It's not ours. And when we slip into that place where we, like my kids, most everybody that has kids at some point in their life, their kids get into their closet and they come out with their dad's shoes on, right? And I have really big feet, as you can see. And it was funny when my kids would put my shoes on and walk around, you know. And eventually, they, you, boom, they'd face plant, right? That's what we do when we try to put on God's shoes. It's okay to ask the question because it's a human question. And God didn't ever say, don't ask that question, you know. You're just a, you're just a person. I'm God. He he'll, lets us ask a question, but he doesn't always answer it. And so they ask this question, and Jesus says, listen. And the, the truth is, all of us, all of us are afflicted with this thing. If we don't encounter hardship, we don't tend to seek God. And out of God's mercy, he allows hardship to come in our life, besides the hardship that we bring on ourselves. Because he wants to meet us. And if hardship is something that brings us to faith and brings us to the point in our lives where life starts working, it's a gift then. Because God could just let us go our merry way and never wake up. But he doesn't. And so he's in charge. And in his wisdom, he says, this guy needs to experience this because it's going to be the thing, the only thing maybe that can wake this particular person up to their need. And so the disciples, however, when they, uh, what they, what they're doing is they see this man, the problem is they see this man kind of as just a, a, an opportunity for theological reflection. They don't see him as a, a real human being, and they don't see that God's at work here. Jesus sees that. They don't. And you're going to see through this story all kinds of blindness. This blind man 
seems to be the only person who's really blind. But as the story unfolds, you start saying, oh my gosh, they're blind, they're blind, they're blind, they're blind. The blindness is a, is a, is a much larger problem than we think. And it, and it has, uh, like what their blindness did here, uh, I'll tell you in a minute, was really costly. But Jesus says, listen, uh, as long as it's day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night's coming when no one can work. He's talking about pretty soon he's going to be uh, betrayed and arrested and crucified, and then he's going to return to the Father. And he says, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, he said that just a few chapters before. I think it was in John 7. He says, I'm the light of the world. Okay. And so this man needs what I have. But he used that word we. I'm just going to leave that he says, we must do the works of him who sent me. Not just Jesus. I'll show you where that connects with us. Then the blind man, so it says, uh, having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the clay, rubbed it on the guy's eyes. <laughs> I prayed for a lot of people over the years. I've never done anything like that. That, w- that would never enter into my mind <laughs> to spit on the ground, make some mud, rub it in someone's eyes because they're blind. Oh, that's going to help, right? You know, nothing like a little grit in your sensitive eyes to make you feel better. Way to go, Jesus. But you know what Jesus is doing here? Now, I want you to think for a second. Does it immediately bring to mind any any story in the Bible Go into your Wayback Machine as far back as it can go. What? No, even further back than that. Go into the Old Testament. Go back, 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 back. Go back to Genesis 1. Yes, there you go, Kaylee. That's right, you you win a Tim Hortons card today, Kaylee. God, it says in Genesis 1... Uh, all the other, if you, if you read all the ancient myths about how God made things, the, the Old Testament, the Genesis story of God making humanity was unique in that it said that God formed us out of the dust of the earth. God got his fingernails dirty, so to speak. He got involved in his creation. And all the other myths, ancient Mesopotamian myths and others around the world talk about the gods and creation having the separation and, and that, you know, the, we're kind of lower life form and inferior. And it's, you know, to get your fingernails dirty was, uh. but it says here that God's like this craftsman. And it's the picture here of the creator It's hinting at something about Jesus, the creator, getting his hands dirty and remaking the creation where it's flawed and broken. And so Jesus says when he does this, he and this is what God often asks us to do. In fact, almost always. Faith requires some kind of response. There's some 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 step we take. If we believe. And so this man, Jesus said, I've rubbed this 
mud on your eyes. I want you to go to the pool. And if you go south of Jerusalem, there's a pool called the Pool of Siloam. And it's, it's a bit of a walk to get there. It's, it's like, it's going to take you a couple of hours to get there. So imagine the blind man, he doesn't know what's going on, but Jesus told him to go do this. And there's a picture, and this, this right here is, is part of the application of how this will work in our lives. Jesus said, go do this. And so the guy, can you imagine? This is not easy. He's, he, if you've ever seen people who are handicapped like this, like who are blind or in the ancient world, they find places to stay, and they beg in that same place their whole life. They don't leave that environment because it's, you know, it's, it's, when you're sight impaired, it's very difficult to get around. And in the Middle East, it wasn't like they had all these nice paved sidewalks, you know, and uh, crosswalks, and everybody was really polite. And, oh, here comes a blind guy, you know, get out of his way. Uh, it wasn't like that. It was very inhospitable. And you think, why is Jesus doing this? Uh, we, don't, we aren't exactly told why, but when he gets to the pool, it says he washes his eyes. And his, when he washes the mud off, he can see. Okay, he can see. He comes back home. And then we encounter another group of people, his neighbors, and people who knew him as a beggar. And they go, that, that guy looks like the beggar. No, it can't be him because he can see. And someone goes, no, 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 that's him. That's, you know, I, I give him money every so often. I know he's got this really grimy cloak, cloak on, you know. It's got holes, a hole here. That, unless he beat him up and took the cloak, which is kind of dumb. Why would you beat someone up and take a really funky cloak? That's the blind guy. And they're all, like, arguing about it. And finally they go ask him. And he says, yeah, it's me. How do you see? And he said, and this is all he knew about Jesus at this point. And you're going to see the, the evolution as, as this man his story unfolds. This is, this is the spiritual journey everybody goes on when you start kind of trying to figure out who Jesus is. The first thing he says was the man named Jesus, the man they called Jesus, told me to go wash. He put mud on my eyes, told me to go wash, and I was healed. All he knew was Jesus was this guy who people talk about, and then he ran into him. He did this mud thing, and now he can see. And they went back and forth about it, right? They said, no, how did he do that? No way, you know. And what you see is they had a frame of reference that was very limited. Because nobody, like the man said later, nobody in all the Bible up to this point, nobody had ever opened the eyes of so all the miracles that happened, all the kind of crazy wild things that happened in the Bible, nobody had ever opened the eyes of a person born blind. Jesus did it here. It was unprecedented to them. And that's what a precedent is. It sets your expectation of the way things will be. So as you move forward in life, the past precedents are like a lens that you see everything through. Nothing can be different than that. That's a form of spiritual blindness. They have it. And they don't get it. They just they can't figure it out. And so what they do is they go, we can't figure it out. Let's bring him to our, our spiritual leaders. So they bring him to the Pharisees. And then the Pharisees now, the, the Pharisees are, you know, they're, we, I've said this to you before, 
we have oftentimes the wrong picture about the Pharisees. They weren't, you know, the guys wearing the black hats, uh, boo, hiss, you know, when they come on the screen. Uh, They were really serious-minded spiritual people who were trying to be faithful to God, but they were really wrong. And this is, this is where the hardest things for us to, to get our heads around is people can be really sincere and really, and they're, as much as they know how, want to do the right thing and really be wrong. It's another kind of spiritual blindness. I won't ask you if, if you've ever been in that position because I know all of us have. But we look at the Pharisees and we think, ah, boo, hiss, you know, they're bad, bad people. Pharisee, bad, you know, don't want to be a Pharisee. But word Pharisee, the word Pharisee means dedicated people, holy people. The Bible really, really says holiness is good, important thing. It even says, if you're not holy, you'll never see God. These guys took that seriously. The whole Old Testament, you read through the book of Leviticus, it's about holiness. They wanted to be holy. That was right. But they had gone about it the wrong way. And so they are the people that the blind man is taken to to try to sort this out, which is not the best place to take a guy to get answers. But so it says that uh, right off the bat, they ask him, let me see, I lost my place here. Okay. Okay. They struggle with the idea that Jesus did this miracle on the Sabbath. Just in their minds, you can't do certain things on the Sabbath. They totally misunderstood the Sabbath. Because they misunderstood it, they interpreted Jesus's, everything Jesus did through this bad light. And they were totally wrong, obviously. But in the moment, they thought, you know, the Sabbath is important. And I've told you in the past of how... The Sabbath played a huge role in Israel's history and why they went into exile. But it wasn't just because they didn't follow rules of obeying the Sabbath. It had to do with what was going on in their hearts. Because God always looks at the heart. I mean, he does look at the outward behavior, but more importantly, he looks at our hearts. And so these Pharisees are going, he's bad, Jesus did this? Oh my gosh, we know that this is bad then. And they keep pressing this guy about it. So it says, uh, but they come up with this question. You keep seeing this. How can a sinner do this? If nobody's ever done this before, how can a sinner, someone that we know is not pleasing to God, how would, why on earth would God give them the power to do something like that? And that divides them, because that's really a good question. That's, that's a, a hard one to get beyond. But they go, no, 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 he's a bad guy because the Sabbath. See, they don't stop and go, maybe we need to rethink how we're thinking about the Sabbath. Because something here is off. And this is a, this is a concrete, real thing, what this guy did for this blind man who was born blind. Totally unprecedented thing. When something unprecedented happens, you should stop and go, that sounds a little bit like something God might have something to do with. But see, 
when the Pharisees are another example of spiritual blindness, when we're struggling with spiritual blindness, big obvious things like that, we just we find a way to explain them away. And I'm going to show you the consequence of that in a, in a minute. And then, then the Pharisees go, okay, you know, that like this man is presenting them with facts that challenge them in ways that they're not comfortable being challenged. And so they're not comfortable being challenged. They go, don't confuse me with the facts. Let's get his parents. You know, we, we think we're right. We're going to find somebody that will back us up. And so they, get, they will find the parents. But the parents, they don't want to get involved, right? You ever, you ever see like a, 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 a fight going on? You ever been in a, like a, a party or something, somebody's house, and 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 two people get in an argument, and you go, oh boy, this is now it's a party, <laughs> right? And nobody wants to say anything, and they're going at it, and you're just like, oh, this is so awkward, you know? These parents are like you in that party. We don't want to be involved in this because what they know is the Jewish people said, if you you. You look at Jesus in any positive light, you're out of the synagogue. And the synagogue was essential to their life. It was at the heart of their community. If you weren't a part of the synagogue, you were disconnected in all the practical, important ways as a person in that culture in that time. It'd be like, you know, uh, it's difficult for people who are undocumented, who are illegal immigrants in a country to function very well in that country. That's what it would be like for them back then, is to say, you're not, you're not one of us anymore. You're on your own. And the parents, these people are older in life. They depend on the community to really support them. And so they're going, we, you know, they don't want to do the wrong thing. They have some sense of, Jesus did something amazing, but, you know, but is Jesus going to be there when we get kicked out of the synagogue? They just weren't. They weren't ready to take the risk. And it left them in a very awkward place. And these people kept putting pressure on them. Tell us. Tell us. And finally, they didn't get, the Pharisees didn't get any satisfaction. And so they turned back to the man. This is like trial number two. And they bring him back. But this time, the guy, he's had a little, he's had a little time to think. And so when they start jumping on him, he starts pushing back. Did you see the change in the way that he communicated with them. The first time, he's just kind of giving them the explanation. He, he's, 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 his head is spinning. I mean, can you imagine that? If you've lived your whole life, you're a grown person, and you've been blind your whole life, and then boom, in a moment, your eyes are open, and you can see all the possibilities that you'd given up on, all the hopes that you had, all the way you'd had to learn to live, just a meager subsistence, existence, suddenly, boom, marriage, family, career, enjoying the world, not just sitting all day in a little, uh, uh, with your, with your miserable life, begging. All of a sudden, it all opens up for him. And so these guys are coming at him, and they're saying, you know, swear, put your hand on the Bible and swear and tell us the truth. We know this guy's a sinner. Don't you know that that's true? He's a sinner. They're, they're, like, they're trying to pressure him and coerce him. I mean, do you see, see what spiritual blindness starts doing to you? 
And so he finally just says, listen, and this is, it, the story is giving us little, little hints here about how you deal with spiritual blindness, but he pushes back at them and says, listen, do you want to be his disciple? Is, that what you, is this your way of just asking me? You don't want to come out and say, how do we become his disciples? You know, you've been around him. What do we do? And they go, no, that's not what we want to do. You know, we want to ruin the guy. And finally, the man just pushes back and says, this guy isn't just a prophet. He is the most unique prophet ever because God has to be with him for him to be able to have done this kind of a miracle. And so the, the last words are, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? You know, there's, there's an old saying in, uh, uh, in when you're in public, uh, when you're in debate, is if you have a weak point, uh, pound on the table. <laughs> you know, attack the person who's making the argument that you can't refute. And so at the end of it, they just start attacking him, right? They can't deal with the points he's making and the fact that he's standing before him. He was born and now he can see. I mean, he was born blind, now he can see. They can't deal with it because the evidence against them is mounting up. It's getting more and more and more impossible to explain away. And so finally, they just start attacking him. It's like the last refuge of cowardly people do that. You know, we call ad hominem attacks against the person. So then this man is thrown out of the synagogue. And we don't know what happened to his parents, but you know his parents are probably, oh my gosh, you know, what does this do for us? What, how, how do we relate to our son? And so Jesus goes and finds the man. Now this is like, I want to, I want to kind of wind things up here. Uh, in, in, in his exchange with, with the blind, the, the ex-blind man and the blind Pharisees, he, he, there's four things Jesus, in his summary, shows us that there's consequences to spiritual blindness. And we've seen it in four groups of people. We've seen it not in the man. (laughs) The man is the most spiritually seeing person of everyone there. The blindest person became the most spiritually seeing person because of his interaction with Jesus. And so the neighbors showed us that the cost of spiritual blindness is we get stuck in the status quo. We can only see what we've seen in the past. Nothing new can break in. No changes can be made. They couldn't conceive of it. He can't be the guy who was begging. They just couldn't see it. These were Jewish people whose whole history was a history of miracles, but they were stuck. This is what spiritual blindness does. Secondly, the the parents were in the trap of spiritual blindness, and spiritual blindness makes us vulnerable to group think and to being gaslighted. Those parents were bullied and they accepted what their spiritual leaders taught them the group think that Jesus was wrong all those people agreed Jesus was wrong so he must be wrong right 
they wouldn't think for themselves. This is what spiritual blindness does. It robs us of our capacity to exercise any discernment, any kind of uh, meaningful self-reflection. Third, or excuse me, uh, fourth, third, the Pharisees, this is, the, this is probably the worst part of spiritual blindness. This is the most extreme cost of it. Spiritual blindness will make you go from bad to worse. Do you see how they started out and they just got meaner and more dishonest and more stubborn? Spiritual blindness is a real problem. It is a real, real, real problem. And as we're seeing in this story, it wasn't just the parents, the neighbors, and the Pharisees. The disciples themselves were guilty of spiritual blindness. Jesus, I mean, they got addressed in the very beginning and then at the very end, as you'll see here. He, the Pharisees, uh, I'm sorry, the disciples, they missed or they could have missed a kingdom opportunity to see this man as someone that God wanted to show compassion on and and change his life. But their spiritual blindness kept them in this place of, well, here's a blind guy. Jesus has been healing blind people. He sent us out to heal the blind. He sent us out to heal the lame. We've been doing it. But this guy is born blind. Wow, I mean, that's like raising the bar. And what they did because of their spiritual blindness is they just stepped back and said, well, let's just make this a theological, an opportunity for theological reflection. And he'll just become a theological case study for us. That's what spiritual blindness does. It dehumanizes people. It it strips the kingdom, the possibility of the kingdom out of, of our lives. So, Jesus finds the blind, the, the ex-blind man. This is the cool thing about this. If you're sitting here thinking, I think I might have a problem with spiritual blindness. What a, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid of the possibility of that. Jesus shows us that he will come along and seek us out because he's the author and the finisher of our faith. He doesn't leave us in whatever mess that we create or we find ourselves in. He won't. And so he came to, he says uh, to the man, he says to him, uh, let me read the exact words. He says, uh, do you believe in the son of man? And that was a, 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 a term that all good Jewish people would have understood. It meant the Messiah. It was, it was, it was God's unique person coming into the world to bring salvation and judgment into the world and to begin to renew everything. And so he goes, who is he? I, I want to believe in him. At this point, he's really spiritually awakened, but he doesn't know who Jesus is exactly. Because remember, his eyes are blind. He's heard about the man they call Jesus. And so you see him go from the man they call Jesus, he says to the Pharisees, he's a prophet. Then the next time he says, he's more than a prophet. He's the most unique person sent from God ever. But that's all he could get to. And then Jesus comes and then Jesus speaks to him and says, do you believe in the son of man? And then it clicks in his head. Who is he? (laughs) I think it's it's starting to, to click. Who is he? And he goes, you're looking at him. He's speaking to you. And he goes, I believe. And it says he worships. And that and 
Jewish people didn't worship human beings. They worshiped God. They were monotheistic, fiercely monotheistic, beyond what any of us could ever conceive of. And when he fell down before Jesus, he was saying, you're the Son of Man, you're the Messiah. And he said, Lord, I believe, Lord. And that was another term the Jewish people only used for God. And he was acknowledging that Jesus was someone unique. He didn't have all the theology that we have now after centuries of reflection in his heart yet, in his mind. But he had the reality in front of him, and so he worshipped Jesus. And then Jesus says, and this is the kind of the, the pivot, he says, For judgment I've come into the world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. So Jesus came to create a spiritual crisis in every person's heart. He came to, to, to foment this crisis in our life. So we'll ask this question. Am I spiritually blind? And this is the simple test. So Jesus just makes this test so simple. And it's, it's so simple, it's like it, sometimes it misses us. He said to the Pharisees, after they heard him say, I came to do this. Remember what they said? Are we blind too? Us? No. The man said, I was blind, but now I see. That's what he said to the Pharisees. They said, we're not blind. We can see. And so, if you're spiritually blind, you will always answer the question, of course I can see. Of course I can see. I mean, I know the Bible. I go to church. I teach a Bible study. I've been to seminary. I've been a Christian for X number of years. That's the way you can know you're spiritually blind is when you answer that question that way. Because the only way you can answer it is to say, I'm blind. Who will help me see? And that, that may contradict some of, of your theology, but it is the inescapable conclusion to, to this whole passage. And it's, if, if this doesn't interest you, you're spiritually blind and it's costing you. And there's only one way to address that. Now, the, the, the cool thing is, it sounds like Jesus is saying this harsh kind of, kind of curse at them. I came so that those who are blind would see and those who see would become blind. Oh, oh my gosh, it's a judgment. But salvation and judgment are two sides of a coin. And what he's saying is, it's so good if you see you're blind and you come to me and I then help you to see because I'm the light of the world. I will help you see. But if you agonizingly recognize that you don't 
You think you see, but that means you don't see. I came for blind people like you. And if you just come to me, I'll turn that around. Because that's what I came to do. But he creates this crisis. And if we don't like it, it's a sign we're blind. Even if we think we're not. And I don't care. Being in Christ... Our identity in Christ does not make us immune from this. There are dozens of passages that show, that warn us. Like 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Paul says, Take heed where you stand, lest you fall. We're warned over and over and over. It's possible to be deceived. That it's, it's, it's the universal experience of the human condition. So, I want to ask you to, to Pray with me. If you think you recognize that you are in the grip of spiritual blindness, the only thing you can do, it's really simple. You just say, Jesus, I'm spiritually blind. Please be the light of my life so I can see. Jesus, I'm spiritually blind. Please be the light of my life right now, every day. Because the way the blind man was found found his sight was Jesus. He looked to Jesus, and Jesus was the light of his. He took a step to make Jesus the light of his life. Jesus said, do this, and he went on a journey of doing it. And he saw as he went. So making Jesus the light of your life means acknowledging that you're going to face spiritual blindness as a part of just being human and the presence of sin in the world. And you're going to be spiritually blind in reference to your family and problems in your family. You're going to be spiritually blind in reference to your workplace. You're going to be spiritually blind to your friendships. You're going to be spiritually blind in every area of your life. Jesus is the light that if we follow him and go on a journey of following him, we will have the light we need all the time, and we will be able to see. And it sounds like a contradiction. You're saying that I have to admit I'm spiritually blind, but when I admit I'm spiritually blind, I'll be able to see. But aren't I spiritually blind? No. Because you're following Jesus, the light of the world, and you're not blind anymore. As soon as you stop following him, that blindness just comes back. And it's like if you've ever followed someone in the woods, in really, really dark woods in a cloudy, starless night, and they've got a flashlight, and you get far enough behind them, you can't see anymore. And there's this sense of what the Lord's inviting you into He's inviting you into a journey. This isn't something you fix. A lot of us are looking for God to fix us. And we're not a broken thing. What's wrong with this has to do with the, the way we live our life in terms of our relationship with God. So I just want to pray for a minute. And if you feel like you're in that place where 
I am blind. And I didn't realize it. I thought I had it figured out, but I don't. It's, it's hard to admit. It, it really is. I, I, I sat this morning as I was praying, the last couple of days as I was praying about this, and I, this morning I just, I wept before the Lord. I said, Lord, I'm blind. I am blind. Will you see? I felt it personally. And you may think, well, what on earth are we paying you for? Part of what you're paying me for is to tell you this and to admit this and to say, I think I'm a fairly mature person in a lot of respects. And this spoke to me like getting punched in the chest. And there is a freedom that comes when you admit it. And there's opportunities that open up for you when you say, I'm blind. And if you don't, you're going to go from bad to worse. You're going to get gaslighted. And you're going to be guilty of groupthink. You're going to live in the status quo and you're going to miss opportunities that you've prayed to experience. If you aren't willing to go on this journey of saying, I'm blind, Jesus, you're my light. Would you help me to see? So just close your eyes and, and pray with me for a minute. If, if, if that is you, I just want you to stand where you are. If that's you and that speaks to you, and you see there's blindness in your life, I just want you to stand and just acknowledge it to the Lord. It's not for us. Jesus is the one that's asking you. Jesus, all of us, all of us that are standing, we just say to you, we're blind. We suffer from spiritual blindness. And as we admit that, we also acknowledge that you're the light of the world. And that you want us to see. Thank you for that invitation. Thank you for coming and finding us this morning. And just speaking this to us. Simple lesson. It's hard for us to admit it, Jesus. And we just say yes to your invitation to follow you. Wherever you send us. Whatever your word is, we want to say yes to it. From this point forward, with your help, we thank you for the promise that you are the light of the world and you'll always be the light that enables us to see. Thank you that we have a new hope that we didn't have before. Now, we must do the works of him who sent us. If you're here and there's some impossible situation in your life right now that you're experiencing, you, not people you care about, that's, that's fine, but, but it's about us right now. If you have 
one of those impossible situations. Jesus and, and we can still do the works that Jesus did. And that's what we are supposed to do, not just Jesus. We. So if, if that's you, uh, bless you that, that you've said yes to that journey. But now if that's you and you need those works of God to be done in your life, just raise your hand. And we're going to close just by praying for you. And the people that are around, hold your hands up so people can see. If you've got, you got some kind of physical deal going on, this is, this is a pretty explicit part of this text. <laughs> Blindness, you know. You have cataracts. There's a lot of eye stuff that different ones have a struggle with. I encourage you, it's not an accident that we're doing this pastor today, that God wants to do things around people's eyes. So if you have different kinds of eye diseases and afflictions, ask for prayer today. If you have other kinds of illnesses, I just encourage you to ask for prayer today. Uh, so raise your hands again, and we're going to kind of dismiss things this way. You see people's hands raised? You guys know how to pray. We do this. Just go up to them and ask them what's going on. Tell us the story and then pray your best prayer for Jesus to come. And if you, uh, Karen and, and Wendy, uh, you want prayer, Karen? You, I'm sorry. You want prayer too? Okay. You guys s- s- step apart. Let them pray for you. Okay. There's people with their hands up. Find at least two people. Find every person that their hands up and get prayer. All right, Father, thank you for your spirit and your promise. We just release your blessing on all our loved ones, brothers and sisters here, that that your healing power would begin to move here, in Jesus' name. And Father, I bless everyone that's been here that has to leave and uh, be about their business today. Uh, May you go with them, and may they be a blessing everywhere that they go, in Jesus' name. Amen. So you're dismissed. We're going to just be praying for people and Go from there.